welcome to those online. It's good to have you tonight. Um, we've got a lot of fellowship going on tonight. Uh, <laughs> um, but anyway, I'd like to go ahead and uh, give a few updates for you. Um, this is truly Vero Bible Fellowship tonight. We're going to move into the Vero Bible part in just a second, but um, it's so nice to see the fellowship. I, when I have to gather attention, that's a really good thing, and it's just so good to see people tonight. Um, uh, just a quick thing, uh, Greg is fine. He's on vacation, and he was able to take some time away with his, with his wife just to get away, and that is critical, and it's, it's so wonderful that we as a church promote that. We as an elder board promote that to just give them time to uh, be away and to uh, just be together. And uh, I think he texted one or two times a day or two ago and I said, that's enough. We don't need to hear from you anymore. And so we, we, uh, we hope that they're having a wonderful time. Uh, and I hope he's not watching. I hope he's on the, on the beach where he should be. Um, so that's where Greg is tonight. Pastor Greg will be back uh, next week to, to continue teaching. Um, but I am honored to fill in, and I'm so excited about this sort of a continuation of a chapter. I do want to give you a, an update on, it is a miracle to see Barbara here tonight. Amen. Praise God. I, Barbara, we have been praying for you. We, we, I mean, I just, it's, it's a miracle to see you here, and it looks like you're just fine and as ornery as ever, so. Is that? <laughs> Absolutely, you can say something. You want to come up here and say something? Yeah. Come on up here. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, come on up here, Barbara. Yeah, my mic, my mic is right here, and it's right here, so I'm just going to stand like this. And <laughs> it'll pick you up. It'll, it'll pick you up. <laughs> Go ahead. Hey, everybody. Um, I don't even know where to start. Hmm. I want you to know how much, how much you all mean to me. I thank you. For your prayers, I thank you for your love, mm -hmm. for your words of kindness. What happened to me was the end of May. When was it? The end of May? May 13th. May 13th. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. I went away on a little vacation with a friend of mine. I went to Cape Cod. And while I was there, I was climbing one of those dunes, a real tall one, you mm -hmm. know, looking at the pretty water. Well, became very, very overwhelmed, like hot and heart racing and whatnot. Anyway, I finally made it to the top because I didn't think I was going to. I kept saying, God, please just let me get one or two more steps. And I guess I'm not as physically active as I could or should be. But anyway, I finally made it to the top, and I was so winded. I sat down, and the car was up there at the parking lot. Sat there, and a friend of mine who was with kept saying, are you okay? And I said, I've got to catch my breath. I seriously could not catch my breath. And then a headache came that was so bad. Mm. How bad was it? It was so bad that I, it was blinding so bad. Mm. Anyway, to make a long story short, from there I was taken to a hospital. From there, that hospital, they airlifted me to a bigger hospital in Cape Cod or Massachusetts. Anyway, huge hospital. Great place to be if you're going to have a stroke. So mm -hmm. anyway, so they get me in there and they scan me and they had determined that I had a, what they call a hemorrhagic stroke. So if you would look at the top of my, for the CAT scan, this whole area right here, it's still there underneath the skin and between the bone and the brain. It's a large amount of blood. And so it will remain there until my body decides to absorb it all. Mm -hmm. And then I will be, but I stayed in rehab for weeks. 
I just literally got home last Monday evening. So I've been gone forever. Mm. And I feel like I've been everywhere in the world, but I haven't. I was just in Massachusetts, <laughs> finally home, and so grateful to God for the miracle because the doctors there at the hospital told my girls that I might not make it. Mm. They flew up, and Gordon flew up to, to be with me that very next day. So I am so thankful. Mm. So thankful. Yeah. I have so many blessings, and if you ever have doubted that miracles happen, just remember my story. That's right. Just remember That's right. my story yeah. because I am a miracle. I'm a miracle. Mm -hmm. And I, there's nothing that I can't do other than drive and go back to work right now, but that will come. But I can walk, talk, take care of myself, and I, I walk a straight line. I don't fall over like an <laughs> Easter egg, you know. I'm not in the corner playing tiddlywinks. Mm -hmm. I went to one of my doctors yesterday and she had seen my information come through. She walked in and said, she <laughs> said, I was afraid to open the door to see what I would find. Mm -hmm. I guess she thought I would be in the corner in a wheelchair. I don't know, but I had a wheelchair. I had a walker, but I left those at the rehab. Praise God. Praise God. I left those. So right. I didn't bring any of them home. We didn't need them. Praise God. Isn't that great? Yes, it is. All right. So miraculous. Thank you, God. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, still sassy as ever. That's still Barbara. <laughs> That's truly a miracle. We were praying for you uh, at Bible study. We had you going through the prayer team, through the elder thread, been ministering to Gordon, and he said he drove up to go pick her up and wheel her you know, out, and she comes walking right out. You know? So that's well, it, truly a miracle. Praise God. It's good to see you. Um, God is good. Uh, it's been a difficult season. So many crazy things. We're, uh, Bob and Vicki Stratton, uh, who are uh, they're always here, and their son had a, an emergency um, uh, come up with uh, an embolism. And praise God, he's doing okay, but they have gone up to see him and be with him. But I believe he was released from the hospital. So that's an answer to prayer. We were right on that. So there's strange things happening. I, I don't see the Libanatis here tonight, so I'm assuming they're still recovering and doing well. That's good to know. Um, just a quick update on Bill. We always want to talk about Bill and you know Bill McClellan. Um, it's a, a long road for Bill. Bill, um, he's battling pneumonia. I think they're trying to get a hold on that, a grasp on that. But a, a word of positive news is they had a meeting today with family, and they are going to move him from Holmes Regional to a rehab type facility, which means a couple things. One, that he's survived this long, which is wonderful. Number two, to be pulled out of ICU is a good thing. That means he doesn't require that at this point. And so to get into, uh, now this means we're looking down the road at rehabilitation, yeah. which is wonderful. And he, um, we were up uh, this past week, what day did we go? On Monday, and uh, we went to visit with Jackie, and she's been real frazzled. She needs our prayers. She's just, it's overwhelming, and things are beginning to settle in. And once you get over the initial shock of things, then you, um, then you begin to look at long-term and, and what, what the needs are. And um, I, vi I visited with Bill, and uh, it wasn't the Bill that I remember and that I know, but I know that during this, these different stages, this, these things happen. And so we, I prayed with him, and um, it was good to see him. Um, but uh, let's just keep them in our prayers. Um, obviously, there's a, kind of probably a long road, but God can miraculously, clearly, God can do miracles. He can speed it up. That's exactly right. I, I expect to see you on Sunday. So, 
Is that right? Wow. So, so God can take that, that huge amount of time and compress it. So we want Bill to be healed in God's timing and under God's sovereign plan. And we're going to be actually talking about that tonight a little bit as we go through the text. Um, so let's go ahead and open in prayer, and we'll lift up a couple of requests. Yes, Gordon. That's a good question. Gordon asked for those online as well, uh, what we can do for Jackie. Can we see Bill and Jackie yet? And I think what we want to do is wait till they get settled into the, the new facility. And then Jackie will let us know because she's been really overwhelmed. And we, even when Deborah and I went up there, you could tell that it was probably best that we didn't go up there. And she's just so, you know, so we will uh, let the church body know what we can do to help when the time comes. And I'm sure there will be that time. And then when we can begin doing visitation and things like that. So yes, Deb. That's right. And so for those online, we're going to be putting, watch for the newsletter, and we're going to be putting something in the, uh, with Bill and Jackie's address so you can send them a note of encouragement. So that's a, a wonderful thing. And so, but we will keep you posted on what to do, what we can do as a church body, because there will be needs. So, yeah. So er right. Yes, Arlene, how, Phyllis and George Libanani. They started therapy today at home. Um, okay. Instead of So Phyllis and George are doing better, but they're just fatigued, and it's going to be probably a longer road for them because they're. Yes. Yep. Libanati. They had COVID. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. Yeah. Yeah. So, but they're both troopers, and I think they're going to recover just fine. So it's going to take a little longer. So they're no spring chickens. So, <laughs> but, but, um, but uh, anyway. So, well. Let's open with a word of prayer, shall we? Father God, we thank you for this day, Lord. Uh, we'd like to lift up right now Bill and Jackie, Lord. We, um, we, uh, we want to just set them at your feet, Father. Lord, pre please uh, be with Jackie and, and comfort her uh, during these times, Lord. It's um, so much to think about and, and bear, Lord. Give her clarity of thought. Give her peace and trust in you, Lord, that you have complete control over the situation, Lord. We, we ask for... Uh, prayer for Bill, Father, that we just ask for a miraculous healing as usual. Lord, we're grateful and we praise you for how far you have brought him in such a short period of time. Uh, it was just a couple weeks ago. We weren't sure if he was going to make it, but Lord, we, we're grateful for where he is. And uh, we ask for your continued prayer, or your continued uh, healing, Father. Uh, but in your timeline, Lord, you know what's best for Bill. And while we would want him to, we want to see him at Bible study next week, that uh, is probably not going to happen, so that needs to be, Lord, in your time, and we need to um, just be in agreement with you on that, Father. Um, Lord, uh, for all the other requests, Lord, we, there's so many um, that we just lift up, uh, George and Phyllis, Lord, that we will um, continue to strengthen them and uh, be with them so we can maybe perhaps see them this weekend or next week. Lord, we praise you for Barbara um, and her, the miraculous healing that you've, uh, you've done in her life, Father. That's just a, a we need to continually look at those things, Father, because you are faithful, Lord. Be with us tonight as we go through this, uh, this passage, uh, Lord, that you uh, illuminate the text for us, that your Holy Spirit will be with us in this room as we, uh, we look at this thing and uh, for each person to gain something that only the Holy Spirit can bring through this, Father. Uh, in your name we pray, amen. So, well, I first want to apologize. They are spring, they are spring chickens because they, you know, so... Uh, <laughs> I'm no spring chicken, 
they obviously are because look at them. So, um, well, what I want to do tonight is if I could give you an overarching theme, I'd like to try to figure out what, what's the main point when we're talking about a passage or uh, a text is what is what are we talking about? Because sometimes we can pull out so many ideas that we get a little confused and uh, we're not really sure what the main thing is. And uh, the main thing tonight, if you're taking notes, is that um, God's sovereign plan will will be will be will come to fruition, regardless of man and his foolishness, his sinfulness, or his faithfulness. So God's sovereign plan will always continue forward. It started in Genesis, and it will uh, started before the beginning of time, and it will continue to go regardless of what man does. Because sometimes in man's foolishness, God is, it, he, that's how he does his things and how he, do, how he has a sovereign plan. So we're going to see that tonight. And I think it's appropriate because I try not to watch the news too much. But boy, if you look at the news these days, you really wonder what kind of plan this is. When we're seeing things from, from the government that clearly, you know, calling good evil and evil good and seeing some of, the, uh, some of the young people today shaking their fist at how they were created and designed by God, which is really all the, all the gender confusion is. It's, I, I often think that there is a dysphoria, but I think deep down uh, we're depraved, man is. And, and, and I think people, through God's revelation, general revelation, know that we're created in His image. And I think they're just literally shaking their fist at how they were made. And they want to take control, and it's idolatry, it's selfishness. And so we see all these things occurring. We even see it within the church. Church is falling away. There's, you know, I don't know if anybody keeps up with church stuff, but the Southern Baptist Convention, there's some very interesting splits going on right now in one of the largest denominational things, you know, where we have uh, pastors that are clearly trending a little more liberal and woke, and there's kind of a divide going on. So even within the church, these things are happening. And we ask ourselves, is God, I mean, hello, you know, what's going on and can you hear? But we all know that he's not surprised by any of this. We know that, that even though it seems like craziness and foolishness and, and evil, we know that there is a plan. And he, it's, it's in his timetable. We need to rest in that. So what I want to do tonight is just kind of step back in time a little bit just to review what we, what we covered in chapter 11. And there were a couple of things I, I failed to point out last week. I really want to show you real fast. So we are going to go open your Bibles, if you will, to chapter 12. 1 Kings chapter 12, because that's where we're going to be planted tonight for the next four hours. <laughs> I'm seeing if you're awake. No, I'm just kidding. I'm joking. Um, but, but a couple of things happened in chapter 11, if you remember. Um, Solomon was one of the wisest kings of, of, of all times. He disobeyed God. This is, and this is a good catch-up because I know there were some people that were not here last week. I'll do the quick version. Solomon, wise king, disobeyed God's commandments, both commandments that were given a long time ago and commandments that were given in his lifetime to him. He had 700 wives, 300 concubines, he, who turned his heart away, as God said would happen, yeah, you're giggling. You weren't here last week, were you? Yeah. So, so, so he he did that. Then his turn was the women turned his heart away. 
Not only did they do that, but they turned his heart towards other idols. And the end result of that is obviously idolatry and lust and greed and all those things. But his heart was not fully and wholly turned to God. Right? So that was the main, and, the, and that was the, the downfall of King Solomon. After building all of these things, um, he succumbed to that. His heart was not, as the Bible says, and I kept saying W-H-O-L-L-Y, because holy, sometimes we think the word holy, but it's fully given to God. It was divided. He had a divided heart. But I did want to point out someone, what's it? Pluralism. It, right, pluralism. That is something that we, we know today. I talked a little bit about pluralism, how sometimes the, there's the, the, the Unitarian Church uh, that is all over America, we have one here, is, you know, all roads lead to God. He began to take on other things that, thank you for pointing that out, Steve, other things, other religions, other gods, and in, in universalism and uh, Unitarianism, you see that all roads, I'll take a little bit of Buddha, and I'll take a little bit of Jesus, and I'll take this, and well, they all point to Christ, that's pluralism, and that occurs today. It's not just something that affected King Solomon. So I want to point out someone and again, I'm going to have you hold your point, portion of the Bible there on chapter 12, 1 Kings chapter 12, put a bookmark there or something. But I'd like you to turn just to two references. And we're going to, I just want to show you real briefly whose heart was holy for God. So go to Numbers, way back in Numbers. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. We're going to go to chapter 14. And we're going to be in Numbers for that. I'm just going to read really one verse. So Numbers 14, and then look at verse 24. And it, it, last week we talked about the fact that he, he, you know, Solomon was divided. So I'm going to read verse 24. But my servant Caleb, remember Caleb? From the, he went into the land, right? My servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has what? Has followed me fully. I will bring him into the land in which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. Caleb was one whose heart was fully given to God. Now quickly go forward a little bit, and I want you to go to Joshua, the book of Joshua. And we're going to go to Joshua, this is like a Bible drill tonight, Joshua 14. So Joshua 14, and we're going to look at verse 8 here. I just want to read this to you. Again, this is a contrast between Solomon, whose heart was divided, and Caleb. So verse, verse, uh, chapter 14, verse 8 says, But my brothers went up with me, excuse me, but my brothers who went up with me, this is going to the land, made, made the heart of the people melt. But, and this is, this is Caleb speaking, but I wholly, W-H-O-L-O-Y, followed the Lord my God. And then look at verse 14. Therefore, Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kezanite to this day, because he what? He wholly followed the Lord. There's the contrast. I, I, I wanted to point that out because I didn't do it last week, but I just kind of wanted to bring you up to speed on what occurred, why Solomon fell, because his heart was divided. It wasn't fully and wholly given to the Lord. Um, so just this is an interesting chapter in 12 because... This is the point where the kingdom divides between Judah and Israel. This is a split in the kingdom. And so what I want to see tonight is if I just kind of, if, just for one second, just kind of going to go back in time a little bit. So we had Saul, and then we had King David, right? 
And then we had Solomon. And so it, sometimes it's hard as you go through this because all the names are, it gets really confusing because Rehoboam, Jeroboam, and, they, and who did what, who's going where, what's north and south. And it took me a while to kind of process all this to get a clear picture of what's going on. So we have, again, Saul and then King David and then King Solomon. And then King Solomon's son, Rehoboam, with an R, Rehoboam, is, is going to be taking over the, the south. He's the one that's the remnant for the Davidic covenant, okay? And then on the north, who the, the, the prophet Ahijah talked to with was Jeroboam, and he's going to be taking charge of the, of the, nor the north. So you've got Rehoboam, south, and this is just clerical stuff right now. And then Jeroboam is going to be north. There's the divided kingdom. Just so you have a picture of that, okay? So as we look forward to this, um, in this particular chapter, in 12 here, um, if you're taking notes, there's three basic acts, if you want to say. So, so like, or like if you have a play and you have act one, act two, act three, it's kind of divided into three divisions. And each division, although they're tied together, they all sort of, kind of have little separate stories. And it's important to understand that because there's points to these, these narratives that are unlike, they're unique to each particular narrative, right? And so the first one, if you're taking notes, I'm just going to give them to you, and then I'm going to come back and we're going to go through this. So the first one is Rehoboam's foolishness. And you can see how it's written there. It's R-E-H-O-B-O-A-M. Rehoboam's foolishness. And that's going to be verses 1 through 14. The second section is the division of the kingdom. This is where the kingdom does divide, okay? And that's verses 16 through 23. And then we have uh, the beginning of idolatry. It's going to focus on the northern kingdom, but it's the, the basic beginning. And can you believe that we're back to idolatry after all that we came through, right? And, and this is actually from Jer on Jeroboam's side. So that's the third sort of act, which is in the end of this chapter. And so I want, I want to start with this before we actually begin looking at verse 1 here. Um, I want to, there's a commentary I have. It's a commentary is simply a, uh, it's a way to, it's, it's people who have taken the Bible, theologians, scholars, and have expounded and studied. And when you look at several commentaries over time, they all typically align in content as to what's going on. Because we always want to know what's happening in the Bible. It's, it's, it's easy to kind of read the Bible and go, oh, that was for me because I did this yesterday and that just matches and that's not always the case. The Bible needs to say what the Bible says, and it's very important to understand that. That's why we use commentaries. All preachers that are solid use multiple commentaries. They don't just come up with stuff out of their head, and well, some do, but not the, not the trusted ones, you know? And so we need to look back and, and, and make sure there's a... He said, because, uh, listening to one preacher, and he said he has three or four or five commentaries going at once. And because he's using the illumination of the Holy Spirit from different periods of time, of time, and he could go back to Matthew Henry, who was one that was earlier, and Jonathan Edwards, and, and John Calvin, and all those different ones, and when they all concur, then you know it's something that can be trusted when it comes to understanding what's in the Bible. So, all that to say, Matthew Henry is one of my favorites, and here's what he wrote about this particular scene that we're going to look at here in the verse 1. He says, I love this, he says, Solomon had 1,000 wives and concubines, yet we read, but of one son... He had to bear up his name, and he is a fool. <laughs> so uh, over a thousand 
concubines and women and wives, and he has one son that we know of, and he's a fool. And that's exactly how this starts. It's, it's embarrassing to read this, but we're going we're gonna to wade through it. So let's, go to, let's start in the text in verse 1 here. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had come to Shechem to make him king. This is the point at which, let's pause there, this is the point at which he is becoming king. Uh, he's going to become king of the, the, the southern region. And the, the, the neat thing about this is, and you're going to see this all through, is that even though he's an idiot, literally, that God is using him and using his folly and because he is in charge of the place where the Davidic line is going to go through, the, the southern kingdom, where Jerusalem will be. And so it's important to understand that. And when it says here, all Israel... Those are representatives from the 10 northern tribes. Remember, it was split up and torn, and these are the representatives. So, um, so and let's continue on in verse 2. And as soon as Jeroboam, now Jeroboam, just to remind you, was the one that um, Ahijah, the, the prophet, said that you will, you will get the 10, 10 tribes, and that's where the split's going to be. So that's Jeroboam who was actually in hiding, right? He went to Egypt to hide because Solomon was going to kill him, or had it out for him. And so Jeroboam hears that Rehoboam is going to be, I know it gets confusing, but stay with me, is going to be the king. So he comes and wants to meet and talk, and so let's continue on. And as soon as Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard of it, for he was still in Egypt where he had fled, there's right there, uh, then Jeroboam returned uh, from Egypt. And they sent and called him, and Jeroboam, and all the assembly of Israel came and said to Rehoboam, okay? And Jeroboam was basically the spokesman for these ten tribes, okay? Um, and here's Jeroboam, your father made our yoke heavy. Now therefore, uh, now therefore lighten the hard service of your father, this heavy yoke on us, and we will serve you. And so Rehoboam says, fine, go away for three days, and then come back and I'll have a decision for you. So what's happening here is that with Solomon's wealth of, of, of I mean, just the, we, we know what the palatial mansions were like and how they built the temple. And it was, you know, if you build something like that, you have a big mansion on J.I., you've got, it takes a lot to maintain that. And so taxation was high because that's just what it cost to run that. And apparently it was kind of a heavy yoke or a heavy load and a burden. And so basically Jeroboam is saying, hey, your dad was tough on us. We'd like it if you, it was a little easier on us. Can you, can you make it kind of more convenient for us or uh, lower the taxation a little bit, make it just a little more bearable? So Jeroboam, or Rehoboam says, let me think about it, right? He's, and you can already kind of see the cockiness coming out. So, so let's continue on. Then, then King Rehoboam took counsel with the old men who had stood before Solomon his father while he was yet alive, saying, How do you advise me to answer these people? And they said to him, If you will be a servant to these people today and serve them and speak good words to them when you answer them, then they will be your servants forever. Let's stop right there. <laughs> I mean, that sounds reasonable, doesn't it? He sought the wise counsel of the older men, right? The non-spring chickens, right? Um, and which, which is what we really should be doing. And then here's where everything begins to fall apart. So let's, kind of, let's continue this passage here. But, but, there's always a but there. But he abandoned the counsel that the old men gave him and took counsel with the young men 
who had grown up with him and stood before him. And he said to them, what do you advise me to to answer with these people who have said to me, lighten the yoke that your father has put upon us? And let me just pause right there. Um, uh, these, these young men were in their early 40s. That's just based on the, 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 the context that I got historically. So these are young guys compared to the older guys. And so he, he got the older guy's advice and he listened to it, which we all should really listen to. But then he wanted to see what the young guys, his peers, so to speak, the buddies, his frat, 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 frat friends. And here's what they say. And the young men who had grown up with him said to him, Thus shall you speak to the people who, who said this to you. Your father made our yoke heavy, but you lighten it for us, but you lighten it for us. Thus shall you say to them, My little finger is thicker than my father's thighs, and now, whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. I mean, that's like a what a contest that is, right? So basically, in that little passage, the young men are saying, double down on them. Make it worse. I don't, who knows why? Obviously, it's very poor advice, very foolish advice. He's saying, make it more difficult. Maybe they had something in their head, but they're thinking, well, you know, philosophically, if you do this, then, then, then they'll really, they'll, you'll show yourself and you'll, you'll you know, push yourself around and then they'll really be in submission to you and you got to be hard on them, you know, you got to be tough like boot camp, you know. Well, this is kind of where it went. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam on the third day, and the king said, come to me again the third day. He keeps putting this off, right? Because he, well, I'm not going to tell you why. But And the king answered the people harshly, this is Rehoboam, and forsaking counsel that the old men had given to him, he spoke to them according to the counsel of the young men, saying, my father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will also discipline you with scorpions. Like, where'd that come from? Um, now, I want to stop right there, because this is where, when I talked earlier about uh, studying the Bible and making sure we, 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 we talk about what the Bible says, it's an important part of Bible study, and this is a Bible study, is it not? Right? So, this is the part where... As I got to this passage, as I was reading it for the, for the first couple times, because I like to read through it, I thought, oh, this is easy. This will be, this will, this will be easy to talk about wisdom and the wisdom we get from our elders and, uh, and not being really, you know, like uh, pride and, and trying to, you know, do weird things. Like, we need to really you know, don't take the advice of uh, foolish people and, and don't be rash and don't be brash. And, and when you really, but that's not where this text is going. And it's important to understand that because sometimes you'll get someone that'll see that and they'll go, oh, I could preach that, let's just stop right there. When in all reality, that, that has really nothing to do, or, well, it has something to do, but it's not the point of the text. It's very important that the text speaks as the text speaks. What did the writer want to say? And here's what he wants to say. Let's look at verse 15. This is it right here. 15 says, So the king did not listen to the people, for it was a turn of affairs brought about by who? The by the Lord, that he might fulfill his word, which the Lord spoke to Ahijah, the Shilonite, to Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. That's the point. To that first little passage right there, that's, that concludes Act 1, basically. And so in Act 1, through the folly 
of Rehoboam through the uh, rashness of his decision, not listening to the wisdom of the elders. We're thinking, you know, come on, there's got to be something in there. But that was done, and the Lord used that for his purposes. He used that to fulfill prophecy that was just in, in, the, in the chapter prior, right? And so that's the point of that passage. And it's what I talked about earlier, that God will use the foolishness of men, the evilness of men, sometimes the goodness of men to fulfill his works and his plan and his prophecy sovereignly. And that's kind of the whole point of that passage. Make sense? So, so we're, now we're still on track. And this, is, this is, happens over and over and over in the Bible. And you can see it time after time. But when you understand what, what that is, then it makes the Old Testament that much more clear. Because sometimes you read the Old Testament, like back in Samuel, with there were some crazy things that happened, but all throughout the whole thing, God had a plan, and he, was, and he used mankind. And that's why I wanted to tie it to today a little bit. We reach back in the past and look at this, but today we're going, like, does God know? Does God watch what's going on in CNN or Fox or whatever we watch? Does he, can he see what's happening? You know, does he know that people are rejecting how they were made? Does he know that, you know, there's a president that doesn't agree with the Bible, you know, and, and, and is, in fact is promoting things? Yes, he knows. And I think, it's, I think it's in these times that we have to learn from the, from the historical Old Testament and the New, of course, as well, that God has a plan and that plan is, is he's going to use man either way but it will be fulfilled, and we need to trust in that and rest that he has a plan because right now it doesn't seem like there's a plan. Or, or maybe the, we know there's a plan, but it looks really confusing right now. And so through these passages, we learn over and over again that God is sovereign and he has this whole thing under control, right? So let's move on to the next so act, so to speak. Um, and this is a kingdom divided. Um, this is um, actually before we start reading that. Let me just talk about that. This is, again, I want to remind you that this is where the big split occurs, and it's going to be divided over the next, you know, several chapters, you know, as we go through the kings, but this is the division from all of Israel to Israel to the north, Judah to the south, and so those are things that I just want to let you know what was happening, and, and this is actually the kind of the, the what's it, the, the zenith? No, that, what's, a, what's the word for something that starts something? the ground zero or the catalyst maybe, and this is where it starts for the divided kingdom. So now that we know that, let's continue forward a little bit here. It says, and when all Israel saw that the king did not listen to the people who, answer, who answered the king, oh, this is kind of interesting too here. Um, I want you to notice here in verse, in verse 16 what the people said uh, that were in Israel. When Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king. Uh, and right here it says, and it's in quotes, I think. What portion do we have in David? Question mark. We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel, look now to your own house. And basically what's happening here is watching the foolishness of Rehoboam, it drove the people of Israel to the north. That's what created the split, basically, right? And so, but the language here is exactly the same language that's been used before. So put your, put your marker in the Bible, and let's go back real quickly to uh, 2 Samuel. 
So go to 2 Samuel chapter 20. And it's going to jump out at you when you see it here. And again, this is more historical stuff, I just want, but I want you to, sh- to see how these, the same language is used. So chapter 20 of 2 Samuel, and, and you can see it, it's probably kind of separated there in, your, in, your, in the passage here. It says, uh, and, uh, now the, there happened to be a worthless man whose name was Sheba, the son of Betri, a Benjaminite. And he blew the trumpet and said, we have no portion in David, and we have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. Every man to his tents, O Israel. Okay, now flip back real quickly, back over to verse 16. And you'll see that uh, in verse 16, it says the same thing. We have, what portion do we have in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel, now look to your own house. Now, not only is this um, a division of the kingdom, this is where it begins, the split begins, but this is a rejection of the line of David, the Davidic covenant. And so this is where everything politically goes south. They rebel against what's going on, and they begin to move to the north. They retreat to their tents, which means they're heading back up in, and now there's a split between the northern and southern kingdom. So let's continue on through there. So Israel went to their tents, and that's what that means when it says Israel went to their tents. They basically retreated to the north, okay? So I know a lot of this stuff is is historical uh, sometimes. Sometimes a narrative is really just giving you an understanding you know, because uh, my role basically and Pastor Greg's role and anyone who teaches is to read the text, to explain the text, and to be able to apply the text. And there is some application. Sometimes it's a little heavy on context. And so this is just to give you an understanding of what's happening uh, and, and how the kingdom was divided. Okay, so let's kind of move on. Verse 17, so Rehoboam reigned over the people of Israel who lived in the city of Judah. Uh, that's, that's the south. Then King Rehoboam, and this is where it gets kind of interesting, Rehoboam sent Adoram, who was a taskmaster over all the forced labor and all Israel, stoned him to death with stones. So this was sort of like a, um, he was sending someone up to, to show northern Israel, Rehoboam was sent, sent this guy north to say, uh, I, I, don't know, I don't know exactly why he was going, maybe to, it was for political reasons, but just to, to, to assert his power in the northern kingdoms to make sure that uh, the people in the north knew that Rehoboam was still under control. So he sent this guy who was one of the, the, the heavy hitters, Adoram. And what happened? He was stoned to death, basically, by the people in the north. So now we have this melee. It's not that we were just divided, but now Rehoboam continues to poke the bear, sends the guy north, and so now there's this big to do. Now look at 19. It says, so Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. Now I just want you to note that's written by the writer, obviously, of Kings. And what that means is up until the point, which is, I think, 586 BC, and that was the estimated time. So up until that, that point. Um, and that, so the house has been divided. So there was the division. That's, that's the occurrence that happened. Um, and then verse 20 says, And when Israel heard that Jeroboam had returned, they sent and called him over to the assembly and made him king over all Israel. There's the placement of Jer- Jeroboam to the, to the top kingdom. Uh, there was none that followed the house of David, but the tribe of Judah only. Remember that Judah is just the small remnant there. Um, 
Now, here's where you would think that Rehoboam would learn a lesson, but here we go in verse 21. When Rehoboam came to Jerusalem, he assembled all the house of Judah and the tribes of Benjamin, 180,000 chosen warriors to fight against the house of Israel to restore the kingdom to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. Now, let's just pause right there because you can see the next, li- the next line, the first word in the next verse. Um, so what, what's occurring is that Rehoboam gets his shorts and knot, and he wants to, they, they knew he killed someone, and so he's going to raise up an army and go destroy the northern kingdom that has just split, right? Now, would that be in line with God's plan? No, because God's plan was to have a divided kingdom. That was in God's plan the whole time, right? So let's now look at the next verse. It starts with the word, but, but the word of God came to Shemaiah, the man of God. Now, when it says man of God there, if you're writing notes, sometimes a man of God is a prophet, uh, but all the time a man of God is someone that, that can speak, speak of the Lord. You know, thus saith the Lord. Prophets mostly do that, but, but in this context and, and several times in the Bible, when it says man of God, that refers to someone that can speak for the Lord. So not only prophets, but man of God, when it says that, that also means that. So here's another, not necessarily a prophet, but a man of God that is speaking for the Lord. And he says uh, in verse 23, Say to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, and to all the house of Judah and Benjamin, and to the rest of the people. In verse 24, this is huge. Thus says the Lord, You shall not go up or fight against your relatives, the people of Israel. Every man return to his home. For this thing is from me. This is God speaking. And here's the, here's the odd part. I wouldn't expect this from Rehoboam. Because given his past history and what he just did, here's what he says. So they listened to the word of the Lord and went home again according to the word of the Lord. There is God's sovereign direction kind of quelling out and silencing and, and keeping at bay Rehoboam from this thing because what would have happened if Rehoboam did that and he would have he would have stayed in his flesh that would have the kingdom would have been unified again and what happened it wouldn't have uh, been effective right so the Lord's plan was to have the kingdom divided here's an obvious intervention here from a man of God who spoke for the Lord and then they listened that's the strange part it really surprised me when you get to that point so the, 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 the major point, again, is at the very end of that section. This is section number two that we're kind of concluding, that basically what happened is the tribes, the, the nation split. There was a north and a south. Uh, Rehoboam start, tried to do some, do some chest bumping and sent someone up. They killed him. Rehoboam was going to start a massive war. God said no because it wasn't in his plan, and they listened. So the first time Rehoboam did this, God used his folly for his plan. The second time, Rehoboam listened, and God used him for that as his plan as well. So God can work through folly. God can work through obedience. And then we move into the next, the next section here. And this section is, is almost, well, before we start reading, it's, it's almost um, tied to the next verse. In fact, I wonder why the division is actually there with 13, because it really ties into the next two chapters, so there's two or three chapters with Jeroboam. Now remember, Jeroboam's in the top part of the kingdom. And so what we see here is basically, uh, it's, it's hard to fathom that idolatry would come back 
but it does in Jeroboam and he's, uh, the, of, of Israel. And so uh, in this narrative, we see several things happen. I'm going to point a few things out because it really truly is just kind of a, a narrative. But I want you to look at a few things that are interesting. Uh, I'm just going to point out some historical things. And Jeroboam, this is verse 25, built Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there. And he went out there from there and built Penuel, which is basically a fortified city area kind of in the north. Uh, and Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom will turn back to the house of David if this people go up to offer sacrifices in the temple of the Lord Jerusalem, then the heart of the people will turn again to their Lord, to Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and return to Rehoboam, king of Judah. So he's already nervous. He's, he's wondering why uh, uh, this, maybe he's wondering why the division happened, but he's scared to lose his people, basically. He's scared that what God said isn't going to come to pass. So he's kind of gain, trying to gain control in a way. So he's going to set up these areas, these little fortified areas, because he's afraid to lose the people. And so in doing this, he's creating these areas that are going to, well, we'll see as we keep reading. I, was kind of, yeah, I don't want to give it away, but it just makes me shake my head. So the king took counsel and he made two calves of gold. Sound familiar? Back in, yeah. So, uh, and then he said to the people, you have gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Behold your gods, O Israel. Mm, wow, gods, that's a small g, gods, plural. Uh, uh, who brought you up out of the land. Of and, and he set one in Bethel. These are these golden cows. And the other he put in Dan. Then this thing became what? It became a sin for the people who went as far as Dan to be before one. It, you know, it makes you wonder, although it makes me wonder, but then it doesn't, because I do know that, um, again, we, we look through this, almost like watching a tennis match, back and forth and back and forth, and almost like David's life as well. But you see them fail, then you see them kind of listen, and then you see this northern kingdom that God instituted, and then back to idolatry, really? Did, he not, did Jeroboam not know the past and what occurred in the past? So... Now, here's something interesting here. On verse 31, it says, He also made temples, which is clearly against uh, the word of the Lord from earlier on, in high places, and appointed priests from among all the people who were not the Levites. I mean, so it was really, uh, that's a violation because only Aaron's descendants were allowed to be priests. And so he's kind of just willy-nilly picking people. And he's creating these sanctuaries and these areas to, that worship will be going on. And he's, creating, he's pulling priests in that were not sanctified and were, were part of the people that actually should be priests. So he's doing all kinds of things. And there, there, were some, there are some commentaries that talk about, um, well, they're not commentaries, but some, maybe some philosophical points of view that say, well, the, 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 the calves were really symbolic. And what's the difference between that and the ark? Because the calves really were just meant that the Lord would sit on that, and even though He's invisible, and and we can see though from the text as we continue forward, as we get into you know 13 and 14, that this was not the case. That these were truly idols. So there's really no question about that. And Jeroboam's heart was really turning towards evil, and it's a crazy thing to watch. But uh, let's let's kind of continue forward here. So from all the people who are not Levites, and Jeroboam appointed a feast 
on the 15th day of the eighth month, like the feast that was in Judah, and he offered sacrifices on the altar. Um, this feast was uh, his version of the, of the tabernacle, Feast of the Tabernacles. Um, so he was kind of creating this entire counterfeit system for fear of losing people back down to the true southern kingdom. And so he's creating the place to go and worship. He, he created some place out near, out near the Jordan River. So he had control kind of of the people east of the Jordan River. He had priests that were, that were not in line with what God had commanded. And he was doing all these things and set up basically a counterfeit kingdom. And he had a, he, all these festivals that were about the same time. So we see this, uh, this, this parallel thing going on. Uh, and he went up to the altar that day made in Bethel. And on the 15th day of the eighth month, this is verse 33, in the month that he had devised from his own heart. That's something very important to underline there. This isn't something that was, you know, self-talk is dangerous. And things that you think on your own need to be in check, you know. Even when we think something is from maybe the Spirit, you know, the Holy Spirit. We, we always need to be really careful and guarding from the inside of things that are occurring. Because we, we obviously know we, we battle the flesh, we battle the world, and we battle the devil. And the flesh can be external and it can be internal. And here's where the internal went wrong for this character, right? And so he, things that, and the way it says that, he had devised from his own heart and he instituted a feast for the people of Israel and went up to the altar to make offerings. Um, as Greg takes over next week, you'll see that this really does continue on and it's just this downward plummet. It's just this downward spiral because of the evil that occurs. Um, uh, it's, it's interesting as we, you know, look at these things, like I said before, it's kind of like we wonder at times when things are going so poorly or things don't go as planned and your life takes a turn and we don't know what, what, the, what the reason is. You know, I'm pointing to Barbara. We, why that ha what, what's the reason? What was God's plan? Sometimes we really don't know, but we have to trust that God's plan was in effect or is in effect. You know, uh, illness sometimes, and I'm not saying that God, you know, makes things happen that are evil because God's not the author of evil, but things are allowed to happen. We get hurricanes, natural disasters, man-made disasters, but we do know that even through some of the worst things that God's glory can be shown, that we can that God's glory can be uh, manifest through these things that occur. We don't always know and we can't always see the results of things, but we really need to trust that God has a plan. And I think there's, I kind of talked about this last week, but God's sovereignty, there's, there's a, a, a gentle comforting peace in it, knowing that we don't necessarily have to figure every single thing out. We don't, and, and sometimes we can really get caught up in the battles um, because you know, when you, when you see things that the world is doing and you want to shake your fist at the government and wonder what they're thinking and you want to overthrow them and we need to get a new president in there because he's ruining our country. Well, he is in a way, but, but God does have a plan. And it's, sometimes it's hard to wrap our heads around that because we want to think that we can, because we are conservatives, so to speak, generally, right? And what does that word really mean? It's, we want to conserve what is good and what we know to be right from the, from the very beginnings of our country. And so not all things were right, 
but we want to conserve the traditional values and, and moral values. That's why they're called, people are called conservatives. And so, but there's that wrestling of, uh, but, but we want to, uh, and there, I, will, I will grant that we do need, we can't be silent. We do need to speak up and we do need to be vocal. We need to vote and we need to express things when things are wrong. We need to fight for the sanctity of life. And we need to fight for, uh, for, uh, for, the, for marriage and for, for a man and a woman and what that is. Uh, but at the same time, we shouldn't be surprised when these things occur. Because when they do occur, if you are of the mindset that everything needs to be in the order that we want it in for God to do anything, I think we've got it all wrong. I think we are here right now. And that people say, well, what about the kids and our grandkids? They are here right now. For that God appointed them for this time. You have to understand and know that. So that's why they're here. That's why we're here. And it's really ne it's necessary for us to know that God has this ultimate plan. Maybe things will get harder for, for believers. Maybe, there will, maybe we will see pers persecution in our day. Uh, but maybe that's something that is in God's plan. In fact, I know it is. And I heard someone say this last week as I was kind of, it was, wasn't even related, but Someone was asking R.C. Sproul, I was watching a video, I love R.C. Sproul, if you don't know by now, and they said, um, he was talking about things surprising God, and, and that it, what, what control God has over things. And from this passage, we have learned that uh, God uses man's folly and his failures and his, and his good things for his plan. But he said uh, something about uh, asking God, uh, if you ask God what's going to happen tomorrow, God won't say, well, it depends. Because it doesn't really, right? It doesn't really depend on us, right? God's plan will move forward regardless of us. And he'll use things in spite of us. And he'll use things that, that for us. And uh, I think it's just important to understand that that's the main takeaway, I think, in this passage. There was a lot of numbers and, and weird little things. But now you know, uh, you know the, where the division started. And you, do, you did see some of the folly of Rehoboam and how God used that. And so I think that it's, it's uh, the takeaway tonight really is to, as you see things occurring, and I think, uh, you know, the Psalms, the Psalms talk a lot about this, um, things that really, uh, that we fret over, that we're not really supposed to fret over these things because we do know that the, the, the grass withers and fades away. But what stands forever? The word of the Lord. That's right, exactly right. And so we need to kind of, Especially now in these days and these times, we need to cling to that and know that these things may occur, things may not go the way we'd like to see them go, but it is part of God's plan. You have to trust that. God's not, again, wringing his hands going, I'm not, I wonder what's going to happen next. You know, what should I do now? We know that, and there's a, there's a peace and a comfort in that. And so um, uh, that's really it tonight. I, I really want to, to leave um, Leave it at that point. I kind of wanted to jump into 13 a little bit because it really continues on with Jeroboam's talk about folly. He goes, goes from folly right into evil. And, uh, and it's, you would think these kings would learn, uh, but they don't. So, um, but anyway, so again, remember, guys, God is sovereign. His plan will, will, be, will, will take place no matter what we do. He will use us uh, in, in those things. And uh, we need to just keep, keep our eyes on Christ, our gaze forward. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 
Yeah, Joan pointed out for those online that couldn't hear, um, we just want to make sure we lift up all the crisis pregnancy centers that are all around the country. We have one in town here. Uh, some of the, uh, the more liberal folks in America, here, here's another example, are wanting to call a night of rage if the Supreme, Supreme Court overturns uh, the Roe decision. And we need, to, we need, number one, we need to pray for the protection and safety of all the unborn children, the preborn, I should call them. Um, we need to protect the, for the protection of those facilities that do so much good that prevent abortions by caring for kids and setting up adoptions and all those things. So thank you for pointing that out. We do need, and we also need to know that whatever happens from this, God is in control. He knows what's going to happen. But that doesn't mean that we don't need to pray fervently. We, when we do, that's a good. I'm glad you brought that up because while we know that we want that, while we know that God, it says to pray without ceasing and to pray for things that are in line with God's will. Sometimes the Lord's will is different than what we pray for. And we have to be, we have to understand, and even Christ exemplified that in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knew what was coming. Before the beginning of time, there was a, I can just picture the meeting where they, they, they ordained, that God ordained with the Trinity what, would, what was going to take place. And in that garden, he knew what was coming. He knew the torture of man. It was going to be difficult. 30,000 people have already been or crucified. That was one thing, but the wrath of God poured out on him. And he, but in his humanity, what did he do? He prayed, and he, and he prayed, if there's any way, please let this pass, you know, but your will be done. And so we always want to pray, though. We always want to pray for healing, but we're always, we want to accept and, and whatever the, the best thing, whatever the Lord's will is, so to speak. So, um, but thank you for bringing that up. Let's pray, shall we? Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the, uh, the complete Bible that you have given to us, Lord, which is your word. It is how you speak to us the most directly, Father. Uh, we thank you for the examples that we see here in this passage, in this narrative of how your sovereign hand and plan will go forward regardless of what man does. Lord, we thank you for uh, all the people who are here tonight. We do lift up um, the crisis pregnancy centers and all of the, the other community um, facilities that, um, that are for the uh, preborn children. Lord, we want to have a hand, your hand of protection over them, Lord. And I, Lord, I ask that you give the uh, Supreme Court a wisdom, Father, that can only come from you, true wisdom, Lord. And uh, as we may come into times of, of, of turmoil or uh, people not wanting to accept certain things, Father, be with this nation, Lord. We know you're in control. We see things that are painful to watch. But Lord, we, we, we know that ultimately you have a plan and we are part of that plan, Lord. And we want to remain faithful to you, Father, keeping our gaze fixed on you. In your name we pray. Amen.